Well, good morning, everyone. My name's Liz Gray, and I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm so glad that you're with us worshiping this morning. Um, I've been praying for the sun to come out, and it did for a while, but uh, there you go. You look like you're suitably warmly wrapped. It's good to see some hats and gloves and coats and blankets. It's uh, normal church, obviously. Uh, there are hot drinks over there if you need them during, at any point during the service, or you can always go inside to warm up for a little bit if you need to. So those uh, Bible readings of today, they're the lectionary readings, and my goodness, um, they were gloomy, weren't they? They were, they were pretty, pretty bleak for a baptism Sunday, but, um, but for all of us know that the world is definitely bent out of shape, as those readings spoke about. And from the moment that a baby is born, and I mean, Anastasia is pretty perfect, but I suspect that there are moments when her parents recognize that the world is bent out of shape. There's nothing like a baby crying just for no apparent reason to make you realize that, um, you know, the fall is a reality. And so we've heard that message of gloom and doom and alarm and weeping. Now, kids, I know that... Um, some of you are still listening to me. So I wonder if this week anything kind of bad happened to you. Did that, was someone mean to you at school? Or did something happen to make you feel a little bit sad? When you see or experiences things that are hard, do you ever think, I wonder what Jesus feels about this? I wonder if Jesus is even aware. Is he listening? Does he care? Has he paid any attention to what's going on around me? So I wonder if maybe while I'm talking, you might like to think about that a little bit. You could maybe draw a picture of what happened or write a story about it. And then begin to think, where is Jesus in the story? How does he feature? If you draw a picture of it, where would he be standing? And then what I would really like you to do is either come and talk to me or one of the other pastors or to your parents about that after the service and just talk about it. Where is Jesus when bad stuff happens? And for the rest of you, if you want to get distracted and do that now, that's fine. But otherwise, I'm just going to talk for a little bit more about what it is, this concept of evil. Because every single Sunday, there comes a point, and maybe for most of you every single day, when you pray the Lord's Prayer and you say, Lord, will you deliver us from evil? What do you think about when you are saying that phrase? Where do you perceive evil around you in the world at the moment? Where are you experiencing it? And how do you think about it? So let's just break down that word a little tiny bit, because is it all just Buffy the Vampire Slayer? I mean, that, that's, that's kind of what our culture tells us. But remember a few things about evil. First of all, evil is a force. Evil comes from within us and from without. Evil is part of a global world, our broken world, and so we get viruses and volcanoes. Evil is inside us, the meanness and cruelty and lack of forgiveness each of us experiences and acts on. Evil can also be systemic. It can be in governments or organizations that create and propagate evil. Sometimes we just think about Satan and demons, and yes, evil is personified in Satan. And Satan is a created being, but his opposite is not God, his opposite is an angel. We recognize that evil uses and weaponizes our shame to get into our hearts and our minds. And so evil is cosmic, 
and global. Evil is personal and suprapersonal. Evil is human and natural. Evil can be political, social, personal, moral, emotional. Different people describe it in different ways. They say there can be natural evil or moral evil. Sometimes we do evil things, sometimes evil things happen to us, both externally, sometimes evil stuff just happens. And so week by week, we pray the Lord's Prayer. We recognize that there is a force of evil in this world, and we say to God, deliver us from evil. So I'm going to give you a good preacher's three points um, about this. I'm going to say, number one, when we see or face evil, we let us remember that there is good. We acknowledge its existence, but we refuse to dabble. And we gratefully accept the protection and delight of being in Christ. So first of all, when we see evil, we help it to, recognize, help it to make us recognize that it, there is good. Whether it's internally or externally, our first response should always be to turn to God and his goodness. I think probably one of the most famous people who has come to faith um, through encountering evil is C.S. Lewis. I don't know if you've read his story about how he wanted to dabble with the occult. And as he began to explore evil, he then kind of went, oh, heck, if there's evil, there must be good. And he then turned and began to look for God. And so we let evil shift our direction. And God is always the answer when we turn from evil. We acknowledge that its evil is real and yet it is conquered. It's squirmy and all around us, but it is short-lived. The battles we see and engage in are time-bound. And we know confidently that Satan is ultimately defeated. And so secondly, we acknowledge its existence, but we refuse to dabble. When we encounter evil, we do have to turn away. Karl Barth said, spare us not from struggle, which we must accept, not from sufferings, which we must endure, but spare us from the encounter with this enemy who is stronger than all our strength, more clever than all our intelligence, more dangerously sentimental than we ourselves are capable of being. He is more pious than all our Christian piety, both ancient and modern, or theological. Shield us from all possibility of evil, from which we know not how to preserve ourselves, since it would utterly and irrevocably degrade us. And so we acknowledge it. We acknowledge, we acknowledge, but we refuse to get engaged with it. Naming stuff can be really helpful. It's useful to identify evil, whether in the systems around us, whether in terms of racism or prejudice. It's useful to name evil when we see ourselves being cruel or shaming others or ourselves. And it's appropriate to do some analysis, but it's inappropriate to linger there. Don't wallow. Don't tease yourself. If something is evil, you acknowledge it and then you turn. In a moment, with the baptism, we will ask the parents and godparents to do some renouncing and some turning. We will ask them to renounce evil and every day each one of us should be renouncing evil in our lives and working hard to be honest with ourselves. And to be honest, I think that's, to be honest, I think that's one of the places where we kind of fall adrift sometimes. 
because it's so easy to create a narrative in which we are okay or where we're the good guys or where we're not taking part in all of this. And I was thinking about this concept this week of cognitive dissonance. How is it that we can see A and B and create a story to connect A and B and quite often that story which connects A and B takes us out of the puzzle or makes us innocent. So I was trying to think of some examples. And one of the examples I kind of stumbled across in my reading when I thought, oh, that is the perfect example, was um, thinking about uh, slavery and how did Christians accept slavery? How did, they, how did they negotiate that slavery is something which we're kind of wanting to do because it makes us really rich, da 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 and how do we align that with our Christian faith? And that was a great example of cognitive dissonance because it was around that story that they then went, oh, well, let's reclassify some humans as three-fifths human because then we can justify having A and B in our brains. We can justify chattel slavery by doing that little tweak which takes us out of the picture and just gives us something which justifies it. But we all do it in different ways at different times. And sometimes, for example, maybe it's to do with consumption. A, I want to eat, drink, consume more X than is good for me. B, God tells us to care for our bodies as the temple of the Holy Spirit. So what is the gap and how do we fill it? Well, we can fill it in all sorts of ways. We might fill it by saying, oh, consuming this will help me to relax and therefore bring me closer to Jesus. Or you get the idea. There are ways that we justify getting from A to B. And so this week, uh, my challenge to you really is, okay, well, when we acknowledge that something is evil in our midst or something is a force that is taking us in a wrong direction, how am I going to get from A to B without slipping into this idea of allowing myself to do what is evil? And we have to struggle. We have to struggle when we see it manifest in our personal behaviors addictions, compulsions, or simply our meanness and our habituation of poor choices. God doesn't relieve us of our responsibility to make serious and hard decisions on a daily or even minute-by-minute -minute basis. And it's real and hard and difficult and thought-provoking. But we have to do that renouncing and turning our faces and bodies and hands and hearts away from the things that entangle us. Daily bringing our sense of entitlement and our desire for personal satisfaction, whether emotional, power-based, sexual, mental, emotional, all of it, we bring it to the cross. We push back at the invasive and coercive tendrils of evil. And then once we have fallen short, if we have sinned, when we have given in to temptation, we turn and ask God to deliver us, to rescue us, to guard and shape our hearts that we develop resilience and our capacity to make better connections between A and B. Our capacity to reject and renounce the entitlements of the world, the flesh, and the devil each week, each day, each hour, each minute sometimes. We ask, Holy Spirit, will you come? Will you forgive us? And will you lead, guide, and help us grow? 
So we acknowledge the existence of the force of evil. We refuse to dabble. And then we gratefully accept the delight and protection of being in Christ. In a few minutes, we're going to baptize Anastasia. And her parents and godparents will stand alongside as we remember that Christ's provision is given for us in Christ. We welcome babies into our community, into the family of God, and we raise them as Christians. We invoke the name of Jesus and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit to provide for her and for each one of us the wisdom and armor we need to develop that capacity to stand firm in the trials of the world. In baptism, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit, and we go into the world acknowledging that we will encounter evil, but also knowing that as children of God, our ultimate security lies in God, not in our own understanding or power. In a moment in the baptism service, we're reminded of the story of the ark, and that image of an ark is such a good one. And maybe there'll be times this week when you just want to get into the ark. You want to get into a place where God is going to protect you from the evil ravaging this world. And so I ask, will you help me see the ark around me? Will you help me identify with Christ who absorbed all the evil of the world into himself at his death? And so as we pray for Anastasia later and as all of us make commitments to her, we will acknowledge and be reminded that God is her refuge, that evil is real, but that God provides us with a way to be freed from its power by trusting and believing in him. Our hope and our expectation for Anastasia is that when she's older, she will stand up on her own again before her community and for herself confirm the promises we make today on her behalf as we, she will remember that God saves us not from the world, but in the world. And so even as she encounters evil as she grows up, we know that God will rescue her and be with her. And so for all of us today, can we be reminded that God is for us? He wants us to pray, deliver us from evil, and he wants to do just that. He will ultimately deliver us from all evil. And he will also walk with us as we encounter it today, trusting that he will shield us from its ravaging power, that he will teach us not to dabble, and that he will not allow it to overcome us. N.T. Wright made this comment about the Lord's Prayer, that phrase. Jesus' way for his followers is that they too recognize evil for what it is, and that they learn to pray, deliver us from evil. To omit the petitions about testing an evil off the end of the Lord's Prayer would indicate the first wrong route. To make them the only significant part of the prayer would be the second wrong route. To you see yourself as the answer to the prayer, as the people through whose virtue the world will be delivered from evil, would be the third. And so we come, we acknowledge, we turn, and we rely on God. We step into the victory of the cross following the example Christ laid down for us there. And the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We are seeing the beginnings of it now, and we know that one day we will see the full completion, full restoration, full consolation, full reconciliation, true peace. 
But meanwhile, our responsibility is to be agents of that change, to be a vital part of welcoming God's peace, glory, and victory into this world. So let us pray. You might want to actually hold out your hands. Because, Lord, we ask, come, Holy Spirit, will you fill us again today? Will you cast out the darkness that we invite into ourselves from time to time? Would you strengthen our resolve not to wallow and to turn? We are so grateful that you have conquered death and that in you we have hope for rescue from the sin that entices us and those tricks we so readily succumb to. Will you strengthen us and teach us? Will you mature us into people who can refuse to dabble, who welcome your reign in every corner of our lives? Amen.